beginning two Sundays ago on the Feast of the Epiphany, we have been considering a, a sequence of three events that the church has associated together as especially making manifest who our Lord Jesus is and what he had come to do for us. Now on the surface, we might consider that first we had a visit to a newborn baby, then we had a baptism, and now we have a wedding. But of course, we have to go below the surface because at the same time that these are ordinary events, they're also much, much more important and reveal something absolutely unique, person and events in salvation history. We've already considered the first two, and today we come to our Lord's miracle at the wedding feast of Cana. So what do we see in this event? How is it that it reveals to us who Jesus is and what he has come to do? We're going to take a look, first of all, at certain observations we can quickly make on the surface, but then we're going to dig down to see more of what is going on here. We might make three observations straight off. First, we see that our Lord Jesus at this wedding feast is there among ordinary people. He is present in Cana. Cana is located just several miles from Nazareth, which is where he had grown up. We might remember how Saint Nathaniel Bartholomew, who would become his apostle, the first time he was told about Jesus, responded, can anything good come from Nazareth? And that always sounds to me like someone who had gone to one high school making a disparaging remark about someone who went to a rival high school. They're just very close together. These were probably people that Jesus had known as family friends all of his life. And there he is at their wedding, sharing this ordinary but joyful event in their lives and also showing what value he places upon marriage. A second thing that we note in this event is the presence of the Virgin Mary and of her care for the people there. They didn't even point out to her that there was a problem. She herself noticed that the wine was running low. Now, that the wine was running low was a big problem. This wedding feast wasn't just a matter of a couple hours, but of several days. And the presence of wine at this event was so important that a rabbi about that time had commented, where there is no wine, there is no joy. And so it would have been a bad thing indeed if the wine had run out. Our Lady noticed. She noticed their need. And she spoke to Jesus. She interceded, asking for him to use his power to do something about it. And if on her own she noticed their need and spoke to Jesus, how much more can we expect her to respond with love when we speak to her about our needs? The third thing we notice is, of course, Jesus' miracle. As he turns probably about 150 gallons of water into wine, and not just any ordinary wine, but really excellent wine. This shows how much he loves the people who are there, the couple and all the guests. Of course, it also shows his power to perform this miracle. But there is much more here. And in order to find out what it is, 
let's start by looking at what it is that Jesus said to Mary. In the translation we have here, it is rendered as, woman, how does your concern affect me? Now, this is an attempt to render in English what is sort of a strange sentence in Greek, because if we were to render it quite literally, it would be, what to me and to you? And we would appropriately say, what does that mean? Well, if we look at the Greek translation of the Old Testament, called the Septuagint, and we look at those instances where we find someone saying that sentence, we find that it occurs in a particular situation that occurs across these instances. This is a situation where one person has come to another and is speaking to that person aggressively or threateningly because there's something they're upset about. And the second person responds to them, what to me and to you? Or as is often translated, what do you have against me? Or what is there between you and me? The meaning seeming to be, don't threaten me. We don't need to fight about this. We can settle this peacefully. Well, if something of this is in Jesus' meaning, why is he saying it? Well, we notice that right after it, he says, my hour has not yet come. And in a sense, there might be a little humor here as he's saying, Mom, why are you threatening me this way? My hour has not yet come. His hour being in the Gospel of St. John when he will come to the point of his passion and death and resurrection. This is what he has come for, but wow, is that going to be a powerful and difficult hour for him? And it seems that she, by requesting that he do this miracle, is requesting that he start the clock that will lead him toward that. Or we might say that he step out and begin a new phase in his mission that will lead directly toward that. And so he says, perhaps humorously, Mom, what do you have against me that you want me to begin this new phase now? And what this question reveals is that there is a match between this beginning point and where he is headed. We saw this last week too. How in his baptism, he entered into the water and emerged out of it. And this began a phase in his mission that would lead him to enter into death itself, conquer it, and emerge beginning the resurrection. There's a similar match here. For as he says yes to his mother's request. What he is doing is he is, first of all, taking on the role and the duties of the bridegroom to provide wine. He is meeting the needs of those who are there. The wine that he provides is abundant and excellent. And this is something that resembles what he will do to a much greater extent when he comes to his hour. For at that point, he will take what had been the old covenant of its stone tablets and the water of its many purifications, and as good as it was, he will transform it into instead the wine of his own precious blood poured forth to form the new and eternal covenant. And he will do this in order to give everything of himself 
for his bride, the church, as St. Paul says, to form for himself a bride pure and beautiful without spot or wrinkle, which will reach its conclusion as we read in the book of Revelation one day in the wedding feast between himself, the Lamb of God, and his bride, the church. This then, is why this is one of the key events that manifests who he is. This is why to do this action was to begin this new phase that would head towards what he would do for us. We recall that some years ago there was a novel that suggested that Jesus had been married to one of his women followers. And although this novel misled many people, it tapped into a sense that people clearly had that Jesus should be married. Of course, the mistake the novel made was to not realize that Jesus is married. He is married to the church, his bride who he formed. He is married to you and to me, for whom he gave everything. And from the beginning, there has been this correspondence between the love of God and between human marriage. In creation, God made human beings, male and female, in his own image with the capacity to enter into marriage and thus to give us what is the best image that we can see of the eternal love that has always been present between the persons of the Holy Trinity. Throughout salvation history, Under the Old Covenant, many times through the prophets, God would speak about his relationship with his people, his covenantal relationship with them, as analogous to himself as the husband and his people as his bride. And if that was the case in the Old Covenant, how much more in the New Covenant between Christ and his church. And Christ raised marriage to a sacrament, So that as good as it is in its natural state, in him it is even more. So that those who enter into marriage in him, it becomes effective. The living out day to day of marriage becomes effective as a transforming of husbands and wives into the saints that he wants you to become. And not only you, but your living out of marriage faithfully in him also works for the salvation of people around you and for the world. There's this interconnection between our relationship with God and the marriage of husband and wife. But because of this interconnection, the fall of our understanding of one can lead to the fall of our understanding of another. This was the observation of a particular author a couple years ago who noticed this correspondence. How, on the one hand, we have noticed that as people in our societies have begun to lose Christian faith and the sense of living out religion, there has been the loss of the sense of marriage and family. But it works the other way too. If we lose the sense of marriage and family, then we begin to lose the sense of the faith itself because there is such a similarity between them. And how much harm we have suffered as a society 
and as individuals through the rise of things like cohabitation and divorce, contraception and abortion, same-sex marriage, and perhaps most present of all, pornography, which has been called the unmaking of love. What began as society or as individuals seeking love and freedom has instead led to a loss of these and instead finding brutal expectation, brutal exploitation and a crushing and a bruising that so many have experienced. But this is not the end of the story. Because in our midst, seeking out those who are lost, seeking out those who are suffering, is our Lord Jesus Christ. He is the eternal bridegroom. His love is real and will never fail. His power is real and nothing can withstand it. He is the eternal bridegroom who gave everything in his complete love in order to save and purify his church to save and purify you and me. And that loving power is still present, even to find and to rescue and to save and to heal and to purify even the sins and mistakes that we have wandered into in our time. And so, maybe said it to us, what the head waiter said to that bridegroom, you have kept the good wine until now. We may hear Our Lady saying to us as she said to those servants, do whatever he tells you.